This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us. It has been encouraging lately to see parents and even some teachers begin to fight back strongly against schools and school districts that are pushing critical race theory on children in the classroom. Just a few days ago, more than 200 people gathered outside the Loudoun County Government Center in Leesburg, Virginia, to pan the teaching of this state-sanctioned racism in the school's curriculum. But of course, it's a fight that more and more of us are going to have to take on at the local level if we are to protect our children and give them a real solid pro-American education. And if you're one of those parents facing this issue, there's now a great resource you can use to help you combat critical race theory in your local schools and also help you to reclaim your school board. It's a comprehensive toolkit from the Center for Renewing America called Combating Critical Race Theory in Your Community. And it's also accompanied by the most thorough and robust local model legislation out there. We're going to learn more about it from Russ Vogt, president of the Center for Renewing America. And he is also, of course, former director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Trump. So good to have you with us, Russ. Welcome. Um, appreciate being on. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Now, last fall, you had issued that memo under President Trump directing the federal agencies to stop using CRT in their training. Now we have to worry about this indoctrination when we send our kids to school. What do you make of the proliferation of this un-American propaganda, as you've called it? Yeah, it, it's a result of the fact that this has been funneled into our culture at a rapid speed through our universities for decades now. And so it's not surprising that we don't just see it in the government, but that we see it in in institutions like our schools. We see it in institutions like our our businesses where HR departments are, are forcing uh, employees to have similar types of diversity and inclusion type uh, events. And when I use those terms, those are technical terms that are, are code for the types of, of teaching that critical race theory provides. So this is a long time in the making. Uh, the American people are getting smart to it. Uh, thankfully, we had a president that uh, felt strongly about it, uh, lit the flame last year, but we're seeing people across the country go to the microphones at their school board and begin to draw attention to this because they don't want their kids going to school and being told that they're uh, either oppressor or what race is because of the color of their skin. Yeah, I, I'm sick of hearing it. I know a lot of parents are. But when we're talking about critical race theory, sometimes there can be a little bit of rhetorical you know, maneuvering on the part of the people who are pushing it. Oh, this isn't really critical race theory. How do you spot it? If you're a parent and you have a child in the public schools and you're trying to find out what is being taught to your child, how can you look at something in the curriculum or in a textbook and say, oh, there it is? Yeah, there's a number. The critical race theory, more than anything, is a, a paradigm of looking at the world that flows from a legal theory and a uh, in an intellectual movement. It's spotted because it never just puts a neon light around itself and says, "We're critical race theory." Here I am. What it does is it, it talks about diversity and inclusion. Uh, it talks about unconscious bias. Uh, it often critiques whiteness and uh, under the banner of whiteness includes things like the rule of law, uh, Christianity, the family, all of these things that are part and parcel of, of Western civilization. And one of the reasons that 
this country is so great is because of the kind of ordered liberty principles that we've had for so long. Uh, and it uses those to, to force conversations about equity. Equity is another buzzword. Uh, the administration, you, you will hear constantly from Biden talking about every decision that they make will be through the prism of equity. Yeah. What's different is it's not equality under law. In fact, it's the reverse of equality of under the law, because equity is about taking any kind of differentiation in, in the results of a policy or just by virtue of that, uh, any kind of differences in society and saying, we're going to level those out using the force of government to do so. So those are the things that the buzzwords that our toolkit provides uh, parents and, and activists to be able to spot when a teacher says, you know, like you're seeing in Loudoun County, the administrators are saying this doesn't exist. <laughs> um, it does exist. In fact, a former superintendent just came out and said this paradigm has been used in the plan that we came forward with. Uh, but it, it is it is the buzzwords that that parents need to be aware of. Well, right. I was looking through a you've got a list, uh, a link on your website to a list of these buzz terms that people might encounter when they're looking at some of these curricula. And some of them are really not what I would have predicted, like social emotional learning. That's something that's been in the schools for quite a while. But that's one of them. Anti-racism. I mean, that's kind of a uh, an odd thing to talk about. It's kind of sneaky because nobody mm-hmm. wants to be racist. Well, we're anti-racist. So when we're looking at these kinds of things, what do you say to parents? in terms of how you discover if your child is being taught this. Clearly, if they bring home an assignment, you should read it. But what kinds of tips do you have in that regard? Yeah, I think the first level is to, to start tackling it from a, a top-down uh, perspective at the school board, but then to start working with your your uh, your students and your, your kids to start inquiring for them to be cognizant of how the teacher is presenting the material. Because one of the things that the, the, the educational theory of the left as it pertains to critical race theory calls for is the teachers who believe this strongly to basically teach through any curriculum to get at these concepts. So the first part, yes, we have to kind of overtly say this is not what we're going to be teaching. The second part of our effort will have to be to assess how in a, in, a, in a world where the curriculum does not allow the indoctrination, what are the conversations that are being used to formulate the conversation anyway? That will come. And in fact, they may come sooner as the left feels like they're on the heels on this national debate that's happening uh, to, to reject it in some way so that teachers can go back to uh, preaching uh, anti-racist concepts. And I, 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 we do need to unpack that because you know, those, that's a buzzword that everyone would sign up for, but of course it is de- definitionally means discrimination in this context. So um, educating students to be on top of how, how their teachers are presenting material uh, and, and having a conversation with mom and dad at home. Yeah. Now, is it worthwhile to go directly to the teacher or is the fact that the teacher teaching it indicative that it was okayed by the principal? Should you pass over the teacher and just go to the principal? Do you go to the superintendent, the school board? How do you proceed in that instance? Uh, I think that's a judgment call based on that particular teacher. I mean, you know, it's never too late to see the light. Uh, And so there, I think, are probably teachers that have been told this is what's been accepted of them. Uh, and, you know, if they've been made aware of it and they have changed uh, or if they have dialed it back or said, I, I didn't know that's what I was, the impact that I was having, that's one thing. But I do think that we will uncover uh, committed uh, leftist teachers 
that know exactly what they're doing. Uh, you saw an example of this on a Zoom call in, in Oregon where uh, one uh, teacher told it's her fellow teachers that if you don't get on board with anti-racism teaching, we're coming after you and we're going to get fired. Yeah. So that we're not going to be reasoning with that individual. Um, and so that's one that's going to, you know, you're probably going to have to elevate it to an administrator uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, probably. How, how widely do you think CRT is being taught? I mean, sometimes it's a district by district reveal, it, you know, shows up in the news. Somebody does a story somewhere locally and then it goes national. But how, how widespread do you think the teaching of critical race theory is in the K through 12, for example, years? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how to be able to answer that uh, with precision, but I I think it's pretty widespread um, just by the, the reaction that people have seen it, which tells me it's not just uh, isolated instance, but in fact, the awareness that was brought to it at the national level combined with what people were seeing throughout the pandemic, may, many of them listening to Zoom calls, combined with the fact that probably moms and dads in their employment had seen indicators of this cultural movement themselves, um, has led to the prevalence of, of, of the concern being raised. So um, we don't have data on, on the number of teachers who are teaching it, but uh, we know that this has been a commitment from the left for some time, um, and you know, we need to do everything we can to seize the day in this late hour. Well, right. You know, one of the other things that a lot of parents are concerned about is the 1619 project and that is specifically getting into the public schools. What do you do if some teacher is you know, teaching all of that stuff to your little child and they're coming home? All of this stuff is of great concern to parents across the country, but you can fight back. We're going to take a very short break. Russ Boat with us and we'll come back talking about combating critical race theory. Stay with us. We'll be back. Fellow Christians are suffering in Africa. This is Janet Mefford. Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten and jailed many times, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many are coming to Christ. But extremists have assaulted Lumo, his family, and many in his church. But they're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. Instead, they're praying for God's word to endure and persevere as new followers of Christ. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send God's word to a new believer in Africa. $5 sends one Bible. $100 sends 20. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualified 
qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back talking with Russ Vogt, president of the Center for Renewing America and also former director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Trump. He was a hero in that memo that was banning critical race theory training in the federal agencies. And now he's out with a wonderful resource for parents. You've got to check this out if you are concerned about critical race theory being taught to your child. AmericaRenewing.com is the website. But we were talking about this important issue of spotting critical race theory, Russ. The other issue is once you've figured out that critical race theory is being taught in the school, what do you do about it? How do you begin to try to correct this situation if it's widespread, maybe get some other parents on board with you? Organizing, I know, is very important. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's good old-fashioned activism. And I I think the way to to simplify it is something what I call no, bro, and go. Know the issues as, as best you possibly can. That's what this toolkit is meant to give you, the ability to go into a school board meeting with the ground firmly beneath your feet. The next part is grow your network, grow your platforms, uh, get your message out, use the different tools that are out there, Twitter, Facebook, to be able to get your message out and bring in uh, people who can help you be a force multiplier and then just go out there and lead. And what I'm excited about is the extent to which the people leading are counting the cost and the consequences of leading and are doing it anyway. They know uh, whether, and we're working with these individuals, they know whether it's them as a parent or as a school board member themselves, um, they're going to be called racist. Hmm. And to count that cost and go into the fire anyways has been inspiring to work with these individuals. Uh, and so I think the first part is, um, providing accountability at the school board level, making sure people uh, are aware, the school board members, identify whether you have anyone that can be on your side, you know, either at the school board level, at the county commissioner level, and you may have someone there that can be educated your way. If you don't have someone, then you're going to look for the procedures to be able to either recall them or replace them in an upcoming election. Uh, that's the kind of thing that we provide links in this toolkit to be able to uh, get educated on how and when that would be effective. And you're seeing efforts like that across the country. Uh, we saw one in, in Dallas. We're seeing one in Loudoun County. Um, and I think that will only continue as uh, parents unilaterally say, I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the anti-CRT ticket uh, as we uh, continue to root it out. Well, that's great. And of course, they will get some objections. Parents will, no doubt, if they try to go up against the school board or against school officials who are pro-CRT. One of the things that you've mentioned in your resource is that sometimes parents are being told by school officials, you just don't understand. You, you have misunderstood what we're trying to do. 
again, this is about making your case, but but this other objection where they say teachers have a right to teach critical race theory, because if you ban it, then you're banning teachers from teaching history. We know about the 1619 Project, and that's being taught as history, even though it's false. How do you respond as a parent to that objection if it arises? Sure. A couple of ways to unpack that. Number one is the issue of, don't know what it is. And, and, and so... Uh, they, the left is in the process right now of dissembling what it means and trying to differentiate it between uh, many of the individuals who even to some extent they don't believe. It's kind of like the defunding police campaign. Uh, the minute people started to wake up to it, they, they changed how they talk about it. Yeah. And so they are in the process of doing that. Interestingly enough, Barack Obama, when he came out and they rolled him out to talk about it, didn't say it wasn't real. He questioned what the, the, the Republicans making an issue and, uh, and the priority of it. Right. So that's the first part of it. The second part is what you're saying with regard to the kind of a First Amendment argument. And that is, 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 is fairly simple. And that is we have there is no bar under any of these bills to teaching about our history the problems that we've had as a country, our founding, our civil war, Jim Crow, segregation, and how as a country we have over time lived up to the, um, the ideals that were expressed in the Declaration of Independence. But what critical race theory does is it inserts an unproved assumption that America, that the rule of law, that this country is a white supremacist regime that is oppressive. They don't ever prove it. They yeah. just assert it. And that's indoctrination. And that's what it's, it's not, you know, in the, in, in the, in the college context, you know, you could even have a conversation about what the theory is. What you can't do is get people in a room and say, this is fact in the same way that it is fact that the earth is round. Well, and if they're so against racism, they should be against this kind of approach because it's just racism against whites. And I, you hear these stories anecdotally of little kids being told that they're white supremacists and coming home in tears. Little kids like second and third grade. This is just evil what they're doing to our kids. It is evil and it is fundamentally uh, different than the American idea. And I think that's why. Uh, it is such an important uh, moment for us is that, you know, we have an opportunity to move to go backwards and we're not going backwards. We're going to go forward and continue to live up to our ideals. Uh, and the challenge is that I think the, the, the left is trying to play into people's emotions who are who have every desire in their world to live in a colorblind society and live up to those ideals. And it's that emotional connection to not willing to be on the side of racism that has led them to make some advances because they, like you said earlier, they call it anti-racism, but then they define anti-racism as uh, any effort to, you know, discriminate, to remove disparities uh, in a way that would undermine institutions and to do it with reckless abandon. And I think that's what we're opposed to. Yeah. Now, I know you're also um, putting out model legislation designed for school boards to stop the teaching of critical race theory and that the first test case is coming up. Can you update us on where that stands and what your legislation is all about? Sure. We've got model legislation, as you mentioned, for school board members. Um, We're working with a couple of school board members behind the scenes. I'd rather not touch base on where you'll see that soon. Sure. Uh, But we're making quite a bit of progress, and uh, I think we'll uh, continue to see people stepping forward and leading as 
as, as best they possibly can. Uh, we were on the fo- phone with some folks today getting them ready for their first school board meeting. And if, if, if you're a school board out member out there, please contact us. We want to get on the phone with you and, and make sure we do everything we can to get you ready. That would be great. Should they just go to your website? Exactly. Go to our website, contact us, and we'll be on the phone with you. Excellent. Now, for those parents who say, my school board is hopeless, they all seem to be supporters of critical race theory, I think I'm going to run for the school board. What kind of help or assistance can those parents get in that regard? People who are saying, I don't even know the first thing about running for the school board. How do I do this so I can get elected? Yeah, we have a a, a part of the toolkit that gets into that. Uh, and I think that's part of you working as part of a network that you've built to figure out uh, how you put together a campaign, uh, the laws in place that you need to be aware of, where you go to find those answers, how you put together uh, your uh, platform, which in this in regard would be fairly simple. Um, but we begin to walk you through kind of from a leadership capacity how you can do that. And then there's other groups out there that are, are being set up literally to be able to help fund uh, the overtaking of, of certain school boards. Um, okay. My colleague and friend, uh, Ryan Gerdusky, good, a good guy out there, has set up a pack along the lines of that very thing. So okay. some important work, and um, you know that's, that's why we have a coalition doing all of this. Well, that's good. Do you think this is a winnable war? Because there are a lot of people who are really fired up about it, and a lot of people getting organized and fighting back. Now you've got this great resource. Do you look upon this as something that the American people can ultimately win against, that critical race theory will eventually be driven out, or at least in most of the schools? Do you, do you feel optimistic? I am very optimistic. I think if you were to... Just from a straight poll of this, you would you would find that this is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a 70-30 issue, and we've only been educating on it for about six to eight months right now. And wow. so the left has been at this for about 100 years in terms of pu- pushing critical theories from the universities. They've been at critical race theory specifically since the 1980s. And so uh, they have been hard at work with a tireless minority we have a potential tireless supermajority out there to do this work. And as we get going, as we get uh, the knowledge base, the activist base, I think we'll be able to turn this, this, this country around. And I think that this is the great revealer of what the left's worldview looks like. And yeah. so I think we will, in the process, recruit many, many conservatives to these and other issues as a result. Well, I'm glad. How, how might they pivot? I know this is just conjecture, but if they really are under the gun on critical race theory, the left never gives up. They just retool and rebrand and all that sort of thing. But do you have any idea as to how they might try to pivot if they really do begin to lose the narrative and lose the support of the majority of Americans? The next thing that parents might have to look out for? Yeah, I think that they will, um, pr- if they can't dissemble and say we've, convince us that, you know, this, there is no, this is not happening. I think that they, they might even get to the point where they, they say, you know, no one's pushing critical race theory anymore. This is a discredited concept, but then go back to pushing the very same paradigm. They, they will not back away from the paradigm of viewing things through the, 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 the prism of race and, and cause it's central to their kind of cultural Marxist strategy but I could easily see them denouncing uh, the term critical race theory and potentially um, a scholar that they feel has gotten over their skis. Um, I think that's what they would do and then pivot back, not unlike what you're seeing um, in the defund police 
um, campaigns. Yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, what we need to do is go back to e pluribus unum, that we're a nation that has always uh, had the ideals of coming together as Americans, having the same opportunities, the same rights, and, and understanding that we are united under that and we shouldn't be stoking racial division. We, we should have solved that a long time ago. And I think this is a wonderful resource for us, really. It's called Combating Critical Race Theory in Your Community. You can find it by going to AmericaRenewing.com. And if you have a problem in your local school district or think that you might, this is going to be a resource that will be very, very helpful for you. Again, go to AmericaRenewing.com. Russ Boat from Center for Renewing America. Russ, just an honor. Thank you so much for being here and for what you're doing. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You bet. Take care. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, here are some strange questions. Will Florida's waterways soon be granted their own special rights? Is the New York Court of Appeals about to decide that elephants are entitled to fundamental legal rights? These are actually some of the questions that are on the table in the United States today. And it's the latest in the war on human exceptionalism. The implications, of course, are more than a little disturbing. We're going to get some of the details on it now from bioethics expert and attorney Wesley J. Smith, chair and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center. Center on Human Exceptionalism. He's also a contributor to National Review and the author of more than 14 books. And today we'll get the latest on this anti-human activism in America, which he's been covering very faithfully. Wesley, welcome back to the show. It's wonderful to talk to you again. Hey, Janet. Good to speak with you again, too. And hello to your listeners. Thank you so much. Let's talk about Florida first. I guess there's a lot of water in Florida. That, that could be a real mess if these activists are able to get rights declared for waterways. What's going on? There is a, a petition being circulated in Florida, and I hope if you have any Florida listeners, which I assume you do, that uh, people, if they're asked, will refuse to sign it, to have a constitutional amendment to the Florida Constitution declaring that water has rights. It's called the Florida Clean Water Act, but don't be fooled by the title. It isn't about clean water. That's how it'll be sold. It's actually about uh, making sure that uh, geological features have rights like humans. And let me read to you, your listeners may be thinking, oh, sure, right. Let me read to you what the uh, legislation would do. And I'm, this is a quote. The Everglades, Florida Springs, the Indian River Lagoon, and it names a bunch of other wa- waterways, and then, and all other Florida waters have a right to clean water, meaning it's not the we have a right to clean water. The water has a right to clean water. <laughs> and that right shall include the rights of those waters to exist, flow, be free from pollution, and maintain a healthy ecosystem. Now, what does that mean? That means if uh, there's an underground stream, for example, because they're included, that if you needed to uh, divert that stream because of uh, some kind of a project, you would be violating the rights of that underground stream. If you wanted to set up a flood control project, you could po- possibly be charged with violating the rights of the of the waterway to flow uh, in a natural state. 
If you set up a dock, if you do boating, which can cause some pollution, you could run afoul of of this uh, of this this uh, proposed amendment. And people will say, "Well, that'll never happen." Well, it's already happened. We have had six rivers in this world declared to be per- essentially persons and given rights. Two <laughs> glaciers. This is part. This is a smaller part of a larger movement known as nature rights or the rights of nature that seek to have all of nature have rights co-equal with people. And it's, a, it's an actually a radical environmentalist anti-human approach to stomping on human thriving. And it's sort of a neo-earth worship. It's really the weird. Next, yeah, it is. Yeah. But the next thing you'll ask is, well, how, how, you know, people could laugh and say, well, how could the river sue? Yeah. Well, here's, here's what else the, the proposal says, quote, any resident, non-governmental organization, or government entity of this state shall have standing to enforce and defend the rights secured by this section in any court possessing proper jurisdiction. In other words, what this proposal would do, and all, all of these nature rights proposals that pop up, is allow anyone to sue on behalf of nature, making nature as the party in the lawsuit, but it's actually the radical environmentalist bringing the suit. Now, you can imagine what that's going to do to development in Florida, which has waterways, which is a huge part of the attraction of that state. If if a, a corporation or if, a, let's even say, a liability insurance company knows that any person in Florida can sue to say that a project involving water violates the rights of the water, you're not going to get liability insurance because you know there'll be a lawsuit. There'll always be somebody who doesn't want what's being done. And you're not going to have corporations being willing to invest their money in setting up these uh, various projects if they know that someone who, who thinks that the waterways have more important um, rights than, than the uh, ability to, to conduct the business can bring a lawsuit. Oh, man. Uh, not to mention lawfare. You know, you better yep. give us some money here or we're going to sue on behalf of nature, pal. You know how that goes. Sure. But, you know, when they're talking about that the water has the right, in their view, to be free from pollution, that's such an over-the-top utopian view. I mean, what does that mean? Like if some guy's out vote, uh, boating one day on Pensacola Bay and he dumps a beer overboard, now somebody could sue on behalf of the ocean? Uh, who knows? Yeah. But once this thing got going, there, it wouldn't be a narrow uh, a focus. It would become a very broad focus. Right. And it would, some of this would depend on, on how the courts interpreted it. But the point is, right now, if uh, I get proper permits, let's say I live in Florida, and I get proper permits to set up a dock uh, on a river next to my house, you know, as long as I have the proper permits, that's fine. But if, if this measure passed, Somebody could think, well, that's violating the uh, the pollu- anti-pollution, the right to flow, um, and, and so forth, and you could end up having me be sued to put in that dock. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to put in that dock. I'm not going to risk it. Right. That's true. Well, you pointed out, I think, the waters wouldn't have any duties, though, under this constitutional <laughs> amendment. So doesn't that, shouldn't it anyway, naturally lead people to the obvious conclusion that entities that can't perform duties also don't deserve rights? I mean, doesn't that kind of undo the argument? Well, but here's how they get around that, and this is true whether it's nature rights, water rights, or animal rights. And again, animal rights is different than animal welfare. In animal rights, humans and animals are deemed equal. It's an ideology. 
and they will say that yes, animals don't can't they're you know they can't uh, they're not competent to perform duties, but some humans aren't either. Like the develop people with developmental disabilities or people uh, who might be in a coma or something. And and since not all humans have duties, then we can treat nature. We can treat animals the same way we treat developmentally disabled people in terms of courts. People with developmental disabilities have rights, you know, the right uh, not to be experimented on, just as an example, the right to life once you're born, uh, just as an example. But the, 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 the sophistry of that, the fallacy of that is that it is in human nature to be able to bear responsibilities. That's part of human exceptionalism. We are rights bearers, but we are also we also have duties. We have duties to each other. We have duties to our posterity. We have duties to animals to treat them humanely. We have duties to steward the earth in a proper way so that we can benefit from natural resources, but we also should keep a clean planet. In fact, there's a lot of effort that goes into making sure that when we do use the earth, that if there is pollution, it's cleaned up, or if we have to, let's say, do a mine or something, it, there's remediation that once the mine is done to, to restore the natural world. That's a proper thing. Yes. But, but in terms of animals and nature, none of them have duties because that's not in their inherent nature, where it isn't a human being, and it, it will, will express itself unless there's an injury that impedes it or immaturity that impedes it. But it is part of the human essence it is not part of the essence of animals, and it is not certainly part of geological features, which are not sentient. Yeah, that's a great point. The developmentally disabled who can't make a decision, for example, that's the exception, not the norm, as opposed right. to waterways, none of which have any ability to perform any duties. Who are the activists, do we know, behind this particular move in Florida? Um, there's, a, there's a group, uh, it's called the Florida Rights of Nature Network, um, and uh, if people go, I wrote a piece on this for National Review. If people want to go to National Review and look under the corner, uh, under my my um, archive, Wesley J. Smith, or do a Google search, Wesley J. Smith, uh, comma, Swamp Rights Constitutional Amendment Pushed in Florida, it'll pop up. And, and I have a link to their website. There's also a, another organization that actually pushes nature rights in a more general sense, a larger, broader sense. And they've had tremendous uh, success. Ecuador and Bolivia have rights of nature laws in their, in their uh, one in the Constitution, one by law. Uh, Ban Ki-moon is actually the former uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, supports nature rights. Um, what's really stunning is that the science journal Science, which is the most... A uh, prestigious science journal in the world has actually come out in favor of nature rights and uh, published an article strongly in favor of it, which shows you, and this is perhaps a st- uh, an issue story for another show, but all of these um, major scientific and medical and bioethical journals have gone completely woke, completely uh, hard left wing. And they are pushing these agendas like you wouldn't believe, sometimes at the expense of their scientific purpose. That is crazy. We're going to pause for a short break. Coming back with Wesley J. Smith. I also want to get into this issue of elephants as persons. We'll come back after this. Stay with us.
After taking the morning after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseated as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a preborn center where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. I had an ultrasound done right then and there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, may your will be done, Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn centers are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms in crisis to the life growing inside of them and sharing the gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Will you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit health care sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Wesley J. Smith is joining us, attorney, bioethics expert, and also chair and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism, writing over at National Review about some great stuff concerning the threats to human exceptionalism, not the least of which was what we were discussing before the break in Florida, where they're trying to get a constitutional amendment passed and get signatures for this thing to give rights to waterways. Now, you're advising people, Wesley, aren't you? Not Don't sign it. If you, if you see a petition, don't sign it. People have got to mount a pushback against this. Absolutely. And I'm also hoping that uh, Governor DeSantis, Governor, I'm Senator, I'm sorry, Marco Rubio and Senator uh, Scott, uh, who are the two two senators for Florida, they need to come out now and say, wait a second, don't sign this. And and realize that uh, Governor DeSantis previously, there was a Orange County, Florida, had actually passed a a waterways rights ordinance for, 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 for Orange County. Uh, and the state of Florida saw this coming and passed a law saying that nature doesn't have rights in this state. And this constitutional amendment is a way to circumvent that statute. Mm-hmm. And somebody's already sued under that ordinance in Orange County, and that, that lawsuit is pending. It should be thrown out because of the preemption issue, but you never know. You never know, but if somebody is going to come out against it, any governor in the U.S., it would seem it would be Ron DeSantis. Yeah, and I think he needs to take the, he took the, took it seriously by signing the law. I think he needs to take this head on and tell people, do not sign this. They're going to pretend it's about clean water. It's not. That's excellent. Now let's turn to the animal rights update. The greatest threat is animals standing, as you've pointed out in your piece at National Review over this issue, that the High Court of New York is about to rule whether elephants are persons. I know we've seen these chimp stories before, but what's the latest? Why elephants? What's going on? 
Well, the, there's a group called the Non-Human Rights Project, and, and they're, of course, findable on uh, with doing an uh, Internet search. And they believe that uh, they can use state laws uh, and common law to create rights for animals. It's called breaking the species barrier. And the first animals they're going for are the what we sometimes call the higher mammals, those with the greatest intelligence, chimpanzees, elephants, dolphins, this kind of thing. But eventually it would apply to all animals because under animal rights ideology, it isn't your mental capacities that count, it's the ability to feel pain. And if you can feel pain then and suffer, then you're equal to human beings. So, so just as an example, a human being can feel pain, a cow can feel pain. That means humans and cows are equal. That means cattle ranching is the same as slavery. And that's, they really literally believe this. That's not animal welfare. They often hide behind, oh, we have to treat animals better, but it's not animal welfare. And of course, animal abuse laws should be passed. That's part of human exceptionalism. But animal rights is not the same thing. Cutting back to this elephant, uh, these are the people that brought the chimpanzee cases in New York to try to have chimps declared persons and have a writ of habeas corpus for chimpanzees to literally free the body so that they would, uh, the idea was to take uh, these chimps out of one was in a research lab, one was in a roadside zoo. The one in the roadside zoo was not being treated well at all, but that should have been an animal welfare uh, issue, not an animal rights issue. Yes. And rather than bust this roadside zoo that was keeping a, a, ch- a lone chimp in a cage, they're social beings, that's abuse. Rather than b- bust them to the animal uh, welfare authorities, they brought this lawsuit because they were using the chimp too, instrumentally, to get their ideological desire. Well, they lost the chimp case, but one of the Supreme Court, that's called the Court of Appeals in New York, but it's the same thing as a Supreme Court. One of the judges of the Court of Appeals, actually, when, when that court turned down the appeal on the chimps, wrote a, a non-binding opinion saying that, in his opinion, chimps should be declared persons mm. and given rights. Now, I hate to tell you, but that judge is still on the court for this elephant case. Oh, boy. And I believe that... It's a, and, and the chimp case never made it to the Court of Appeals. It was refused, but the elephant case has. Now, that may mean nothing. It may mean that uh, justice say we're going to just end this once and for all, or it may mean that uh, that one judge has persuaded some of these other judges, or maybe there's some new judges, hey, let's do that. Oh we don't know what's going to happen, but it will be heard in the New York Court of Appeals sometime soon. That is really disturbing. I looked up, in fact, one of the statements from Judge Eugene Fahey, uh, to whom you're referring from the New York Court of Appeals, when he was talking about the chimps, he said we should consider whether a chimpanzee is an individual with inherent value who has the right to be treated with respect. Well, you just made the coherent point here that makes sense. This is about animal welfare. We can protect the welfare of animals from being abused without having to give them rights. So wh- why give them additional rights? What is the end goal here in the, in the view to of these activists? The, to allow the animals to bring the lawsuits. Animal standing is the same thing as in the waterways issue. If the animals have the right to sue, what that does is that opens it up for animal rights ideologues to have open access to courts to push their desires. Right. So so conceivably, what would they want to sue over if, for example, an elephant is declared a person and somebody... If they, if they would take elephants out of all zoos, just as one example, which is what this lawsuit's about. Yeah. And then it would be a domino effect, right? If elephants of have course. a right... Yeah. And every- then you'd have the precedent and then it would, it would spread and it's called breaking the species barrier. Yeah. There's already been one orangutan 
declared a non-human person uh, and granted a writ of habeas corpus. I mean, you say those words and you feel like you're in a Dada, uh, you know, Salvador Dali painting. Hmm. Um, but that was in Argentina. And uh, and that was considered, uh, that was to great applause of the animal rights folk, because that's precisely what they want for the United States. And eventually you would get to the place where you where the dolphins would sue if if uh, fishing uh, interfered with their right to get the fish, where whales would sue, where um, you know chimpanzees would sue, and eventually you would move down the line to dogs, perhaps saying, you know, hey, wait a second, I shouldn't have to be a guard dog here, you know, I should whatever it might be. Um, the goal of animal rights, by the way, Janet, they don't talk about it too much because it would interfere with donations. But they don't think human beings should have the right to own any animals. Oh, wow. And that's even pets. Um, if you talk to read the writing of Gary Francione, F-R-A-N-C-I-O-N-E, he's a very big animal rights activist from Rutgers University Law School. I've debated him. He says he actually adopts unadoptable dogs, but he doesn't think dogs should exist in the world because they're human inventions. Oh, man. And he doesn't think humans should be able to own pets. And if we did own pets, it wouldn't be as pet owners. It would be as pet gardens, guardians, and we'd have a fiduciary obligation to the pets, the same way that I might have a fiduciary obligation to a developmentally disabled person uh, if I became that person's guardian or conservator. Well, now, in this guy's view, if we shouldn't have dogs as pets and they shouldn't exist, is he advocating the slaughter of all dogs? Because dogs can't live on their own. They Most no, of them would die. No, he's saying, he's saying keep, take care of the ones that exist, but don't let any new ones come into the world. Good grief. Well, now, when we're talking about both the waterways issue in Florida and also the elephant issue in New York, you you make such great cases. People need to read your articles and your books because you do a great job extensively in explaining all of this. But in kind of a soundbite form, what is the best response defending human exceptionalism against these kinds of ideas that are coming up? Well, what I like to do is this. I, I've, I go to universities and I, I give the speech that you can imagine I give. And I often say, you know, human beings can, that doesn't, human exceptionalism doesn't mean we can do whatever we want to animals. We have the duty to treat them humanely. That is important and so forth. Yes. <laughs> and inevitably, the animal rights people come up, you think that animal rights, that these animals can be anything you want to, you know, I, oh, please. <laughs> so what I always do is I ask these students, all right, sir, tell me. If being human in and of itself isn't what gives us the obligation to treat animals properly, what does? If it isn't just being human, what does? And they, they're always like the Jackie Gleason show of the old days. <laughs> they don't have an answer. Yeah. Because the only reason that we have the obligation to treat animals properly is because we are human beings, human exceptionalism. Yes. If animal rights passes... We will have the obligation to treat animals properly. They will not have the obligation to treat us properly, nor each other properly. That proves we're exceptional. So what they're really doing isn't granting rights to animals, but incredibly onerous duties on us, and only we would have those duties, and it would cause tremendous disruption in human society because we depend on the use of animals in a proper fashion, not only for food and medical research, but if you think about all animal products that go into many, many manufactured products, it would stun you. Uh, we depend on being able to use the natural resources and, and, the, and the wonders of nature to have a thriving economy. If nature has rights co-equal with ours, 
it's going to throttle down. And then imagine the losses involving global warming exactly. that would be unleashed. Yeah. Which of course, is a big part of the point. You're totally right about that. Well, people can read you over at discovery.org, also nationalreview.com. Wesley J. Smith, always great to talk to you, Wesley. Thanks for your great work. It was wonderful to talk to you again. Thanks very much, Jana. You take care. All right, you too. Thank you so much, Wesley J. Smith. Thanks for listening to Janet Mefford today. We really appreciate you tuning in. God bless you. We'll see you next time.